0: Do you love Kindling Conversation? Make your voice heard and vote for it at the Australian Podcast Awards. Head to kindling.com.au slash vote. But do it soon because voting closes April 1st.
1: Hi, I'm Siobhan Hunt, and this is Kindling Conversation, a Kindling Kids radio podcast. Just a quick note before we get into the next episode. If you haven't already, I'd love you to rate and review Kindling Conversation wherever you get your podcasts, or if you enjoy the episode, share it with your friends. All right, thank you, and on with the show. As a parent, it feels like so much of our life is taken up with trying to make sure other people are happy, cared for and safe. But that often means we are our own last priority. Our own happiness is left to last and this can have a huge impact on our relationships at home and at work. So how do we address this? How do we make time for our own happiness? Dr. Darren Morton is a fellow of the Australasian Society of Lifestyle Medicine. His third book is called Live More Happy, Scientifically Proven Ways to Lift Your Mood and Your Life. Hi, Darren. How are you?
0: I am very well, thank you.
1: So you start your book by talking about the biological parts of us that create happiness, Mm. specifically the limbic system. Mm. Can you tell us in layman layman terms what that is?
0: Okay. So look, this is a, a part of the brain. I mean, I come from a, from a human physiology background. So I have this great interest in this part of the brain that we know is responsible for your emotional state. So in other words, I sometimes refer to it as the home of happy, potentially, That's if, you, <laughs> if, you, if you treat it the right way. Yep. And um, and look, this part of the brain, referred to as the the limbic system, although because I'm an Aussie and we give nicknames to absolutely everything, um, sure. I call it the limbo, and that <laughs> makes it easy for kids to understand as well. But um, this part of your brain uh, is attracting a wealth of research attention because what we we know is this is the part of the region of your brain, and it's essentially located sort of smack bang in the middle of your of your brain. It's the part that decides how you feel, so whether you know good, bad, sad, or glad. It's, um, it's this part of the brain that triggers those, those emotional responses. So I have a great interest in how do we get that part of our brain in a good place? Because there's something really intriguing about the human brain, and that is that it actually has no feelings of itself So my brother-in-law is a neurosurgeon and and he'll tell you that before he performed brain surgery on someone, they put anaesthetic in the skin before they, you know, they go crazy with a scalpel because people get really ticked off at you if you start, you know, cutting through their scalp with no anaesthetic. Well,
1: fair enough. Fair enough. (laughs) And then
0: same as when we go through the bone tissue, bone has feelings. You break one and you know about it. But when we get into the actual brain tissue itself, it has no feelings. And so what I'm interested, so no, they don't use any any anaesthetic there. So here's the question that, that I pose is, you know, is it from a human physiology point of view. How does the part of your brain responsible for how you feel know how to make you feel?
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's just an existential question for everyone to...
0: <laughs> well, that's right. But there is a good answer to it. And essentially what happens is it, it relies on what it's told. And so there are sources of input to your limbic region of your brain. And I, if you follow the logic here, if you know what those sources of input to... Uh, to it are, then you can purposefully and intentionally send the right kind of messages to this part of your brain to, you know, hopefully feel more emotionally up.
1: Okay. Well, we'll we'll get into that a little bit more, but um, I think one of the things that I have a problem with, dare I say, is I feel like our society is obsessed with happiness Mm. and that in striving for happiness... A, we make ourselves more unhappy, and B, we start to smother the other emotions that are just as important. I mean, what would you, how would you respond to that?
0: Yeah, and look, I, I mean, as you you mentioned in the title of my book, um, live more happy. When we we sent that out and they, the the uh, publishers road tested what would be a good title. Oh, I actually was a little bit anxious about using the word, um, happy because I think for many people it does conjure those, those images of a fluffy, fleeting, unrealistic sort of "yay, um, my and, first
1: coffee of the morning.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Um, but uh, what, what I want to say to that is that look, happiness is not really, I mean, happiness is a bit of a colloquial term. And for many people, as you, as you indicate, it has negative connotations. Us scientists, we tend to use the word subjective personal well-being, but that doesn't, it sits awkwardly on books. And
1: <laughs> it doesn't roll off the that tongue. It doesn't roll off
0: the tongue. And, and look, there are other words, you know, eudaimonia might even be better. What we're really talking about here is is an emotional richness, you know, and so, and there's a depth to that. So, and you know, when we talk about happiness too, I'm not, I'm not pretending by any stretch of the imagination that anyone can be 20, up 24-7. It's just not real. And so it is important that we, we experience the whole breadth of, you know, emotions that, um, that, that us humans come encounter. And so, you know, young parents, I mean, I've got three kids and I remember, I mean, fortunately they're sort of, you know, 11, 13 and 15 now, which is a golden age. But I remember when, you know, they were all close together and it was just a tough gig back then. And I can tell you what, I wasn't full of the joy of living <laughs> day in, day out. I can I can guarantee that. I remember I remember one particular example, standing by the the, 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 the cot of my daughter, Olivia, who's at my oldest. And she must've been, oh, I don't know, maybe nine months old. And it was three in the morning. We'd been up all, like every night for about five nights in a row. It had been, you know, like 16 times up. In, and I remember standing there and just, Swaying backwards and forwards, it's three a.m. and I, this, this incessant wha and, and I thought I am going to die. I literally, <laughs> I thought I was going to die from sleep deprivation. And, and it was only when I looked down and noticed that I was I was actually putting the dummy um, in her eye socket as <laughs> compared to, to her mouth. That uh, and when I changed that, things sort of settled down. They a got bit. better. She's All got 20-20 right. uh, vision now. Oh, good Those to just, know. She survived that experience. But, look, we have these times, and you know, I, and I want to say as as a parent of Young kids. I remember those times very vividly. It's a tough gig, right? So let's not pretend that we can all be swimmingly happy all the time. But what we do know is that there are things people can do to actually have more of an enduring happiness. And so you know, there are times when we'll have you know bad events happen, and it's it's understandable that we will be down for a time. But I do believe, and it's my conviction, that most people, most of the time, can be taking a couple of steps up you know, the the happy ladder, if you like, or the emotional well-being ladder.
1: Okay, let's talk about that ladder. Mm. You are listening to Kindling Conversation. I'm speaking with Dr. Darren Morton. He's the author of Live More Happy, Scientifically Proven Ways to Lift Your Mood and Your Life. And uh, it is International Day of Happiness, so we thought it was a good time to speak about it. Um, So, Darren, you were mentioning the ladder, and just before that you also said that it's the messages that we're sending to our limbic system that sort of affects our mood. Yes. Is one of those steps on the ladder how we speak to ourselves
0: yeah absolutely and this is this is what i find interesting so when we look at the way that you're wired right we can actually look and see that the the part of your brain responsible for your emotional state your limbic system is actually wired to the, the part of your higher brain, and I give this a nickname too. I, I call this the leader, but you know, if you want to use neocortex or you can, I will go with can, the leader. Leader's good. <laughs> yeah. So essentially, we have the leader, which is your thinking brain. That's the part up top. Then there, your limbo, which is which is the feeling brain, and the part of your leader that's that's responsible for speech and language, actually is wired to. The emotional part of your brain. So what this means, and I have a little, actually one of the chapters in the book I, I call, Your Limbo is Listening. And what's intriguing about this is we know that your your emotional brain is not your thinking brain. In fact, it could be likened to a two-year-old kid. It's highly impressionable. And what this means is that how we speak right to ourself, right, so I'm talking about internal dialogue here, how we speak to other people actually has a measurable impact on how we feel. Now, we've, many people have heard this before and it's the whole, you know, speak positively thing and think, oh, it just sounds like pop psychology. But what we know, you're, you're wired to work this way. Yeah. And so there is actually substance to that. And so, you know, the, some of the studies that are coming out in this space are really fascinating. We know, for example, that there is a thing called the positivity ratio. Um, it's been discovered in, in by a number of different researchers now. Marcel Lozada, a South American researcher, he went into business environments and just monitored how many positive things were said in that Environment compared to negative, and he found that there's a ratio. If if you don't get over a certain number of positive speech acts to every negative, pretty much that business would go downhill. I'm not going to tell you what the number is just moment because <laughs> um, John Gottman was a is a world renowned um, you know marriage researcher. He found the exact same thing. He actually found that in families, in marriages, he could predict with nearly 95% accuracy whether a couple would split up within five years, simply by listening to how they spoke to each other, how many positive things were said for everyone negative. And so the number is, if you if you want a relationship, if you want a family, if you want a community, a work environment to thrive, you probably need five positive things said for everyone negative. Can I
1: just ask you, be hmm. devil's advocate here. Yeah. I remember being in a group of um, friends at one point and they were all from a particular background and you'd walk into that group and they'd say hello and every person in that group would say something nice about the person who'd just arrived. So that by the time it got to you, you had nothing left to say <laughs> yeah. and it felt very um, trite. It felt mm. superficial. Yes. Um, so does it matter if you don't mean the positive comment? Like, no. I mean, in that sense that you want to be authentic and sometimes if you're really feeling down about something, trying to be positive, positive about it can feel fake.
0: Yeah. Look, and I think that you, you're, our brains know when we're not being real. And so this is not about, you know, it's, this is, you ha- need to be authentic, obviously. But, you know, for example, I think in like the Australian culture is generally one of, of sort of more knocking down rather than building up. And, you know, when was the last time that you purposefully and intentionally went, went about, say, complimenting someone? You know, we often think nice things about people but we actually don't go that extra step and articulate it. And so I think that there's real value in doing that. You know, speaking, we do this with kids, don't we? You know, Mm -hmm. please, thank you. Getting them to, you know, use this, this positive language doesn't mean there's not a place for addressing negative things as well. You know, um, know that's important. Speaking
1: of the, I think actually the biggest problem for parents and mums in particular is self-talk. So it, they will be lovely to everyone and complimentary, but in this, their internal dialogue is, I'm not doing this right. My child's going to be messed up when they're older. Yes, this might be my internal <laughs> But that is something that is quite hard to switch, isn't it? Because you can be really unaware of how critical you're being inside your head.
0: Yeah, and that's so true. You know, there, there, are, there are so many people who are quite good at externally you know, verbalizing positivity, but what do we do inside our head? And what's interesting is that the limbic region of your brain doesn't actually know whether the words escape out of your mouth or not. It just listens into the internal dialogue of that, that, that upper portion of your brain. And so, yeah, look, this, the, I actually think, look, I, I actually have a real heart for uh, parents of young kids, right? Because I feel like, you know, cause I'm so old now, I'm like 48, <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, it's interesting I've I've journeying through that period, you realize that there's just a whole, my, my wife often says, it's actually almost a, a baptism into guilt you know, as a parent, because you, you should be doing this. And, and, and look, I remember, I remember my kids thinking, I am raising little criminals like this, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and they're not. You know, so I think sometimes as parents, we need to take the pressure off ourselves a little bit and recognize that, you know, I, actually one thing I'd say, I, went, I remember going to a parenting workshop when my kids were just tiny and and the first thing the, 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 the um, expert, family life expert said, he said, the fact that you guys are here is actually... Kudos. You know, you're probably doing a great job. The fact that you're turning up and, you know, to, to the listeners here, the fact they're tuning into this, wanting, you know, they're interested in learning. Hey, you know what? Well done you. Yeah, and so I think that's an important message.
1: I could talk about this all day. I am going to have to wrap up, but before we do, I was just wondering if you might have tips because I know we haven't got to talk about it, but I know exercise, for example, Mm. is a big part in um, helping people stay happy. And you can get the book if you want more detail on that. Um, But do you have any tips before you leave for parents, whether it's exercise or other things, that they can do, try and fit or bring into their busy lives that can help them go up that ladder?
0: Yeah, look, and I think... I, I tend not to use the word exercise nowadays because for many people that just means I'm already like <laughs> so sleep deprived, and you want me to do that? It's painful and it involves sweating. Um, look, what we know is that just moving, just moving, and, and and you only have to do it for about ten minutes helps people to feel better. And so, and and look, this message is as much for kids as it is for for the parents. And so, look, I would we know that exercise. I will use that word just for a moment is probably the most powerful but underutilized antidepressant, uh, but so but just getting it, just moving in some way and outside. So that's the other thing. I have a chapter in the book called "Blue and Green Should Often Be Seen," and this is all along the lines that people, adults and kids, we need to start engaging in, with engaging with natural environments, particularly sunshine. We actually know there are now studies coming through showing that exposure to bright light is as powerful for relieving depression as antidepressant medications are. And so, look, we have, you know, we have an epidemic of of low mood in in our, in our society. So, you know, one of the top tips I would say is just, you know, when you, I remember my mum telling me, go and play outside, you kids. Well, get your kids to do the same and go with them. Go with them.
1: Go to the park. Go for a walk. Yeah. Oh, Darren, thank you so much for coming in today.
0: It's been a pleasure.
1: That was Dr. Darren Morton on how to find time for yourself and also reprioritizing your own happiness. Um, We had a few tips there, but if you'd like more, his latest book is called Live More Happy, Scientifically Proven Ways to Lift Your Mood and Life. It's available in all good bookstores.
0: Hey there. Do you love kindling conversation? Make your voice heard and vote for it at the Australian Podcast Awards. Head to kindling.com.au slash vote but do it soon because voting closes April 1st.